0: is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. Welcome to the Search for Certainty. It's good to see you here again today and I'm looking forward to enjoying this journey on this five-part series as we discover the certainty that we can have in God's Word in these uncertain times that we live in. Today's subject is entitled, How to Face Today's Social and Economic Uncertainty. And I don't need to remind you, don't need to remind any of us that we are living in a time of great social and in particular economic uncertainty. Well, today we want to begin by going to the ancient city of Pompeii. I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to go to that ancient city of Pompeii. They're located in southeast Italy, um, a couple of hundred kilometers away from Rome. Had the opportunity in 2010 uh, with a bunch of other ministers to go to Italy and in particular to go to Pompeii. It's a fascinating city because up until 250 years ago or so, it remained buried It was buried by the volcano eruption that took place in 79 AD when Mount Vesuvius, this mountain that overlooks uh, the city of Pompeii, buried the city in three metres of ash. And so today, when you go to the city of Pompeii, it's like stepping back in time. The city has been so well preserved. And I just have a few photos here to show you that I was able to take. There is... um, uh, the forum uh, in, the, in the city of Pompeii, here is another photo um, showing the bathhouses. Um, as you can see, they are so well preserved, even though we're talking 2000 years ago. And the reason is as I shared Mount Vesuvius, which we can see there in the background. Uh, Mount Vesuvius had erupted a number of times. um, And so the citizens of Pompeii were well aware of this mountain, this this volcanic, active volcanic mountain. However, not too many took very serious note in 79 AD when Mount Vesuvius blew its top like at no other time um, in in history. Sadly, this was the response of most of the citizens as they watched the the smoke pouring out of Mount Mount Vesuvius in the days leading up to the volcanic eruption there in AD 79. One historian uh, noted Uh, this response from the people. The sighting of a column of smoke triggered a response more of curiosity than of alarm. And sadly, thousands and thousands were buried. And it was kind of eerie, very eerie, very sober to look at some of these images. Um, Here is One image that you can see of individuals who were buried by this volcanic ash that descended upon the city of Pompeii, a very wealthy city, a very prominent city there in the Roman Empire. Twenty thousand or so people lived in the city. And that may not seem like a lot to you and me today, living in these millions and millions of people um, city. However, it was quite a lot in the ancient time. This is in particular a very sad picture here of a of a woman who apparently was giving birth at the time. This is uh, uh, the, the woman and she was buried and she realized that there was nowhere to go. The, the volcanic ash came suddenly and um, the, the volcano lava came at over 100 kilometers an hour and engulfed the city of Pompeii and a vast uh, area that surrounded the city of Pompeii. As I think of what took place there in Pompeii, I cannot help but think of what Jesus warned us there in the Bible concerning the times that you and I would be living in. In our previous presentation, we discovered that Jesus gave us signs, a number of signs that would help us to know when His coming would be near, even at the doors. Unlike the people of Pompeii, it is my prayer, my earnest prayer that we will heed these signs of love, these signs sharing with us the times we're living in and how we can prepare. Not all lost their lives in the city of Pompeii. There were some that heeded the warnings that the mountain was was sharing with the population and their lives were spared. We want to again go to the words of Jesus as we go to that ancient city of Jerusalem. And in this city, we are going to discover that Jesus shared a very powerful message. But before we do, as always, what do we need to do before we open up God's Word? We need to pray. So that's what we'll do. Father in heaven, once again, we want to ask and pray that you'll be with us. We pray that as we open up your holy word that you have given to us, that you will open up our minds and our hearts, that we may be willing and ready to receive these beautiful truths from your word to prepare us for the soon return of Jesus. For this is our prayer in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to begin with a question, a very important question, and I shared this in our very first presentation. But I do want to restate uh, this right from the get go, right at the outset of this presentation. The question is, will knowing the signs of Jesus coming save us? Do you remember what I said earlier? No, no. Notice what Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus here makes it very clear that the only way we are saved is through a relationship with Jesus, is by knowing Jesus, not by knowing the signs. You can know all the signs in the world and still be lost. But those signs are designed to draw us to Jesus and by Knowing Jesus, we then can have the assurance of eternal life in Him. Well, then why did Jesus give us so many signs? Why did He spend so much time in the Scriptures, signs concerning His coming? Why did He give us all these signs and He asked us to watch? Notice what we find in John chapter 14 and verse 29. And now I've told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may what? You may believe. So the whole purpose, the main purpose of giving us the signs that, that that he did was to enable us to come to a point of belief, to believe in Jesus. And according to John 3.16, that wonderful scripture that almost the entire Christian world knows and, and many others besides, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever what believes in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the whole purpose of the signs of the times that Jesus gave was that we may have faith and trust in Him, that as we see the things that Jesus shared 2000 years ago coming to pass before our very eyes, that that may bring us to a point of belief and trust in God's Word. And if we can trust God, if we can trust His Word, we can trust our lives into His hands his safe and secure hands. And so that is the main purpose why God has given us signs to help us believe. Notice what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21 and verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day, speaking of the second coming, come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare for all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Notice Jesus over and over again, as we discovered in our last presentation, He says, watch, watch. Why? So that we may be able to stand when Jesus comes, that, that we may be prepared, that we may be ready for His soon return. That is the reason why Jesus has given us all these signs. So let's review. Let's take a look at what we have looked at thus far. We've discovered that Jesus gave us signs in the political world. Secondly, we discovered that Jesus also gave us signs in the world of nature. Today, we want to take a look at signs in the social world as well as signs in the economic world. We want to begin with signs in the social world, the things that are happening around us in society. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus told us very clearly that as it was in the days of Noah, it will be the same in the world just before Jesus comes. Now, what was it like in the days of Noah? There were many things that were going on, but I've just put down a few key points. Firstly, it was business as usual. It was a she'll be right, mate kind of world in the days of Noah. And those who are in Australia are well familiar with she'll be right, mate. Those of you who are watching and you're from another part of the world, she'll be right means it was just business as usual, carrying on every day, the same as the previous day and so on and so forth. Jesus went on in verse 38 and 39. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the son of man be. Now, the... Life was going on as it was always, just like in the city of Pompeii. People were going about their business as they always had. And then all of a sudden Mount Vesuvius erupted and it was all over in in a matter of a few short minutes. Jesus is saying as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be just before he comes. Life will be carrying on business as usual. I find these words fascinating where Jesus says, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. Did the people of Noah's day know that there was a flood coming? Absolutely. God had raised up Noah who preached according to the book of Peter in the New Testament for 120 years. Peter was preaching day in and day out that there was a flood coming and the only safety was in the ark. The animals The Bible tells us we're making their way into the the ark just prior to the flood, two by two. Incredible. And the people watched all these signs and yet they continued on business as usual. The second thing I want to point out from the days of Noah is that the earth was filled with violence and corruption. Notice what the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 11 concerning the days of Noah. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Do we live in a world today that is filled with violence? Absolutely. There's violence everywhere, isn't there? There's violence on TV. Uh, there's, There's violence on the sporting field. There are violent video games. There are violent movies. Sadly, there is even violence in the home. Today... We live in a world filled with violence. We lived in a world filled with corruption. Corruption is everywhere, sadly. Notice what else Jesus had to say in Matthew 24, verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness. Is there such a thing as lawlessness today? Absolutely. There is great lawlessness today. What is lawlessness? Lawlessness is the opposite to lawfulness. What's lawfulness? Lawfulness is people who are law-abiding citizens and the majority, I thank God, are law-abiding citizens. But more and more, there is lawlessness. Jesus went on. Before we get to what Jesus said next, notice what Arnold Toynbee, who is a professor of history, he wrote this epic series study of history. Why do they disintegrate and collapse? He wrote this series of 17 volumes um, documenting the rise and fall of a number of empires, 19 or 21 empires altogether um, that have grown to prominence and then they have finally succumbed and, um, and they are no longer with us. And the number one reason, according to Professor Arnold Toynbee, why, why civilizations disintegrate and collapse is because lawlessness leads to destruction. Lawlessness leads to destruction. So the more and more lawlessness we find in our world, the greater the destruction that will be taking place. That is based on history. That is based on previous civilizations that have gone before us. This is a picture of two of my favorite people in the world. These are two of some of my favorite people in the world. Can anyone guess who they might be? Yes, they're my grandparents. They're my grandparents. And um, this year, my grandparents celebrated 70 years of marriage. Isn't that incredible? 70 years Of marriage. Um, Those numbers you see there on the cake, um, that was when we celebrated their 84th and their 83rd birthday. In case you're wondering (laughs) what those numbers mean. (laughs) That was a few years ago. Um, Grandma now is 88 and granddad is 87. So she was 18 and he was 17 uh, when they got married in Macedonia all those years ago. When I talk to my grandparents and I love to spend time with them. They live down in Melbourne, so there's a bit of a distance. But every time I go down there, I always seek to spend at least a day or two or more if I can with them. And I love to talk with my grandparents and find out what life was like in their day. What was it like growing up in their village as a teenager in their early 20s and so on and so forth? And when I talk to my grandparents Apart from them, not having electricity in the village, apart from them not having telephones, apart from them not having a whole bunch of things that, that we have today, life was so so different, especially in the area of morality. Some of the things that are happening today, my grandmother and grandfather they just cannot get their heads around the way life was back then, the morals and the values that were that were rock solid back in their day back in their society, they might as well have lived a thousand years ago compared to the way we live today and the way society is today and the things that are, uh, that are viewed as okay and the things that are, I guess are, are viewed as, as not okay. Notice what Jesus went on and said. He said, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. Sadly, today, the love of many is growing cold. Sadly, today, the divorce rate, I don't need to remind you, the, the, the tragedy of the divorce rate, where almost one in two here in Australia. And in some countries, it's, it's even greater. One in two that say, I do come to the point where they say, I no longer, I no longer, I, I no longer do. Sadly, as we know, the children are the ones that are, that are, caught up in the crossfire and it's devastating. It's 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 terrible. It's terrible. Uh, Divorce and separation and and all the the ills that are associated with with families disintegrating. I find that today we're living in a very immoral world, in a very immoral world. And let me put to you based on what I see, based on what Danny sees. And I haven't been around for a long time. I've been around for some 40 odd years, 45 to be exact. Um, But based on the way I see the world and what I have seen, this is what I've witnessed. And this is what I want to put to you here today. The downward spiral of morality. Firstly, immoral acts. They are first abhorred, then they are tolerated, then they are finally accepted and then Finally, they are defended. Are we living in a day like this? We absolutely are. Where once upon a time, something that just would not even be spoken of, let alone practiced today, that is not only accepted, but today it is defended. And sadly, even in Christian circles, even Christian leaders today are are promoting, are condoning practices that are clearly in opposition to God's word. You see, God has given us all the principles for how we can enjoy healthy and prosperous relationships, how we can have a healthy and prosperous society. They are all found here in His Word. In particular, they are found in the Ten Commandments. The very first commandment invites us to put God first. What has society done with God? It's thrown God out the window altogether. The very first commandment dealing with our relationships with one another, commandment number five deals with honouring your mother and your father, deals with the family unit. God has been thrown out the window. And today, sadly, the bedrock of any society, the family is under great attack. And today, sadly, the family is disintegrating. And as goes the family, so goes society. That's the time that we are living in today. The things that are permissible once upon a time were not even dreamed of. I remember reading um, in some, in some book or some article that the first time Hollywood decided to take their cameras into the bedroom to view a husband and a wife sitting in bed reading together, there was an outcry, an outcry. Why? What right does Hollywood have to bring their cameras into a bedroom to videotape husband and wife in their pyjamas sitting in bed? Where do Hollywood's cameras go in today? Well, the sky's the limit, isn't that right? Things have completely changed. Notice what Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That is so, that is so, 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 (laughs) so what it's like today. That describes, I should say, that describes what it's like today, what life is like today those who place evil for good and good for evil. I don't know if you're familiar with this um, historical work of Edward Gibbon. Uh, He wrote this just over 200 years ago, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Now, I want to share with you what Edward Gibbon had to say regarding the reasons, the main reasons for the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Here they are, the five major reasons. Um, There are others, but these are the five major reasons. And I've summarized them in my words. There was a rapid increase of divorce with the undermining of the family unit, which is the basic foundation for a healthy and prosperous society. There were higher and higher taxes. There was a mad craze for pleasure and sports. The building of gigantic armaments when the real enemy was within the decadence of the people. And finally, the decay of religion where faith had faded into a mere form. Does that describe our day to day? These were some of the major reasons that brought down the mighty Roman Empire that ruled the then known world for some six centuries. That is a carbon copy of our society today. What did Jesus say? Lawlessness will what? Lawlessness will abound and the love of many will what? Grow cold. And that is clearly what we are witnessing today in our society. What else was taking place in Noah's day? Notice there was a population explosion. Notice what the Bible says in Genesis chapter six and verse one. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. So there was a a population explosion. There was a multiplication of the population in Noah's day. Have a look at where our population graph is. For, For thousands of years from the time of of Noah and his flood about two and a half thousand years before Christ, all the way through to the beginning of the 1800s, so almost four and a half thousand years of time, the population remained steady, as you can see by that graph. But then all of a sudden we moved to 1800 and, and the population began to, to grow exponentially. And as you can see, that line is is going upward very, very dramatically. Isn't that right? We are up to over seven, almost 7.5 billion people. And so this is another clear sign, another clear evidence that the coming of Jesus is near. As we shared in our previous program, the signs of Jesus coming are important in that Jesus gave the analogy of the labor pains. You remember the labor pains? And those labor pains, as we know, before the coming of Jesus, before the, before the birth of the baby, those labor pains, they intensify in frequency and severity. And that is what we are seeing with all these signs. All the graphs are heading north. I found this statement very interesting from the Little Green Handbook uh, published in 2005 by Ron Nielsen. And uh, this is what he wrote concerning our population explosion. The population explosion came suddenly. Notice the words that he uses suddenly, the words of Jesus in Luke 21. It took the world by what? By surprise. It shouldn't have taken God's people by surprise, should it? Because we ought to have known that this was coming and we are still not sure how to react or how it will end, except that it will leave a great deal of damage behind. We are not even sure of surviving it, writes Ron Nielsen. So this population explosion has caught the world by surprise. And I don't need to remind you that the population is especially exploding in what part of the world? The third world, isn't that right? The third world where, where they don't have enough food to feed those that they already have. And so there is a great explosion there in the third world. Notice what else was taking place during the days of Noah. The Bible says there were scoffers and sceptics. Notice these words from Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Knowing this first, writes Peter, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And as you read these words from Peter, you discover that He's speaking of, and the context is in in relation to the flood. He's saying, as it was in the days of Noah, People were scoffing. They were like, well, where is Jesus? Why hasn't He arrived? Where is He? And today we live in a world, in a Western world here where religion has been placed to the side. Isn't that right? People are just not interested in religion. In fact, here in Australia, those of you who are in Australia, you'll know that we have just had a census. And when it comes to ticking which religion you may or may not be part of. For the first time in our census, the no religion box was placed at the top of that question for good reason, because those who are not interested in any religion, they wanted to ensure that Their box received the most votes. And so today we're living in a day where more and more people claim they don't have a religion. More and more people claim they have no need of God or they don't believe in God. That doesn't mean people are not interested in the supernatural. As we're all aware, books like Harry Potter, movies like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars are more popular today than ever. Isn't that right? But people just have no interest In this book here, they have no interest in the Word of God. They have no interest in the things of God, but they are interested in the dramatic and the interesting and the sensational supernatural, which Hollywood is pumping out each and every day. Now, why hasn't Jesus come? Why does He delay His coming? Notice what Peter goes on and he says, in Second Peter, chapter three and verse nine, for the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. So why hasn't Jesus come yet? He hasn't come yet because he is still waiting for more people to give their lives to him, to repent, to turn from where they are heading, to turn to the kingdom of God instead of being lost, Jesus invites all to be saved. That's the reason why Jesus hasn't come yet. He is, repent- he is waiting for those to repent. But the truth is, the truth is that Jesus will come. He will come. The flood did come. Noah preached for 120 years, and the flood did come. God is patient. God is merciful. God is long suffering. But the day will come when God will say enough is enough, enough of the sickness, enough of the sorrow, enough of the suffering. It's time to bring my people home. It's time to bring those home that have put their faith and trust in me. I want to go now to the signs in the economic world signs in the economic world. We've looked at signs in the political world, signs in the world of nature, signs in the social world, and now these titanic signs in the economic world. Notice what Jesus said in Luke, chapter 17, verses 28 to 30. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodden, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So here Jesus tells us not only as it was in the days of Noah, but also as it was in the days of Lot. So it will be just before Jesus comes. Now, we don't have time to take a look at the, at the, at the gross immorality and the, and the, destructive violence that was part and parcel of life in Sodom. You can read that for yourself there in the book of Genesis. But apart from the immorality and apart from the, the violence, what was one of the other characteristics of the city of Sodom before God destroyed it with fire and brimstone from heaven? Well, let's go to a scripture that not many people are aware of that describes what life was like in the city of Sodom, found in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49. God says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister, Sodom. He's here speaking to his children, Israel, and he's comparing them to the city of Sodom. Notice, she and her daughter had pride, I guess, speaking of Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, Fullness of food, an abundance of idleness, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Does that describe life like today? It absolutely does. That describes life in the 21st century, in particular here in the Western world, where we have those who have a lot and then we have those that don't have much at all. Isn't that right? The gap between the rich and the poor is what? It's growing and growing and growing and growing. As someone once said, the rich are getting richer and the poorer getting babies. That's true. The poor are getting babies. They're the ones that are multiplying. Those of us that have got hundreds of thousands of dollars, all these big homes, we don't want more than one or two kids. And those that have a little shack, they've got six, seven, eight and ten kids. We have an abundance Notice this magazine that I referred to in our last presentation. What really happened between 2000 and 2010? This Time magazine back in December 6, 2010. Notice these statistics. It compared the billionaires in the world of the year 2000, as well as the billionaires in the world at the end of 2010. In 2000, there were 306 billionaires roaming around. In the world, in 2010, some 10 years later, that number had tripled to more than 1000. But notice, we also find that the undernourished from the year 2000 to the year 2010 had grown by almost 75 million people. Now, you may be thinking, what's 75 million people? That's not a lot. That's not a lot. That's like three Australians. Isn't that right? That's the population of Australia three times over that are today hungrier than they were back in 2000, from 2010. I I came across this very interesting article in the Australian Business Review that pointed to this gap between the rich and the poor. And I discovered in this article that 1% of the world's population now own 50% of the world's resources. That's phenomenal. Think about that. One percent of this world's population own 50 percent of the world's resources. That's incredible. And just in case you didn't think you were very wealthy, those of us who are living in the Western world, if you have three thousand dollars in assets or cash, three thousand dollars, you are part of the richest 50 percent of the world. So that's all of you, isn't that right? If you have $87,000 worth of assets in cash, minus after you've taken out all your debts, you are part of the top 10% in the world, as far as wealth is concerned. And if you have $700,000 worth of cash and assets, you are part of that 1%, part of the 1%. Today, there are those who are working for a dollar or two a day, while there are huge corporations making billions and billions and billions of dollars. I don't need to remind you of that. We are all well familiar with that. The book of James actually describes our day to a T. Notice these words that we find in the book of James, chapter five and verses one to eight. Come now. You rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in what days? In the last days. And as we discovered in our previous presentation, the last days begin when? They begin when Jesus came, the first time. That's when the last days begin, according to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. But those last days will intensify until the coming of Jesus. And in particular here, James is speaking of the coming of Jesus. And we'll discover that in just a few moments. He goes on. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. James goes on. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And he finishes off with these words. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is what? Is at hand. So when you see the gap between the rich and the poor growing like at no other time in human history, then you can know that the coming of the Lord is near even at hand. Yes, we've always had poor people. Yes, we've always had rich people. In fact, Jesus said, The poor you will always have in your midst. So that's nothing new. But what is new is this gap between the rich and the poor. Which has never been the case, certainly not in recent times, not in the past 2,000 years since Jesus shared these words, and since James shared these words. Notice these words from the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 11, 18. We looked at these in our previous presentation. The nations were what? Angry, and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged. The nations were angry. We know that the nations are angry. Uh, That's not news to anyone. You can just turn on your news tonight and you'll discover that the nations are angry, very, very angry with one another. But I want to put a slight twist on the words of John here in Revelation. Let me add a couple of words. The people of the nations were angry. Are people angry today? Absolutely. More and more people are angry. Let me, let me share with you the front cover of Time magazine back in December 14, 2011. The Protester, The Protester, subheading from the Arab Spring to Athens, from Occupy Wall Street to Moscow. The Protester, Person of the Year for 2011, according to Time magazine, was the Protester for the first time in Time's history. It wasn't a person, one person, one individual that was the person of the year. Now it was a group of people. I have this magazine here with me. And in the article, in the article, it was pointed out that for the first time in history, we had protests in nations that comprise almost half the world's population taking place during that year. 2011, the year of the protester. People are angry. There was a very sad article in this particular Time magazine. The article was concerning a young 26-year-old street vendor by the name of Mohammed Buzi, who in fact sparked the Arab Spring as it has become known there in Tunisia, in a small village in Tunisia. Now, what What sparked the Arab Spring? Well, Muhammad, a 26 year old street vendor, just selling his fruit there on the side of the road, trying to make ends meet, trying to feed his young family, his wife and his children. He kept getting harassed by the authorities over and over and again. He'd just be harassed almost, almost on a weekly basis. And then finally, what finally, what finally did it for Muhammad was, was to be interrogated by a police officer a female police officer who interrogated him once more. She she slapped him in the face and in the Middle East. That is a sign of of, of great shame and and um, and just something absolutely despicable. And she confiscated his scales Well, he decided to go to the authorities to complain. He went to the authorities to complain. They told him not interested he walked outside the offices, the government offices, and he poured, he poured a paint thinner on him, lit a, lit a match, and killed himself. That is what sparked the Arab Spring, according to this article, there in Tunisia back in 2011. That's what's happening in the world today. People don't protest because they want to protest because they've got nothing better to do. The reason why people are protesting all around the world, especially in the third world, is because they have had enough. They can no longer live in this unjust society that they are part of. And they've made a decision. Either either we die or there is a change. But living like this just doesn't work anymore. That's why hundreds and thousands and millions leave their homes. They get on these little boats, these little rubber dingies, and they risk life and limb to get to a part of the world where they believe there'll be safety, there'll be peace, there'll be prosperity for them and for their children. We are living in, in a time such as we have never lived before, where, where, where people are angry, they're upset, even here in our country, in Australia, in the United States. Take a look at what's happening over there. And in many other parts of the world, Western Europe, there there is just anger. There is just frustration that is building up more and more and more. Notice these words from Luke chapter 21 and verse 9. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. This is a very interesting word, commotions. I looked that word up, commotions, and the word literally means unrest. It means revolts and riots. Do we have revolts and riots today? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There have been revolts and riots ever since Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago. But the revolts and the riots are on a scale such as we have not seen before. Notice these words in the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, chapter 13, And verse eight, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines and what? Troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. Troubles. I looked up that word trouble and the original meaning for that word is a disturbance, a provocation or sedition. Now I had to get my dictionary out to work out exactly what that word sedition was. I had a vague idea A pretty good idea. But this is what the word means, according to the dictionary. It means to conduct or to to offer speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state or a monarch. Is there rebellion today against state, against authority? Absolutely. What's it called? It's called the Arab Spring or the Arab Uprising. People are rising up. They're overthrowing governments. And that's exactly what Jesus said When he spoke of troubles, he spoke of uprisings. He spoke of riots. He spoke of, he spoke of whole nations being, being turned upside down and great turmoil taking place. And that's why Jesus said in Luke 21, 25, and there shall be distress of nations with perplexity, as we discovered in our last presentation. Distress is great perplexity, great distress. Today in Australia, in Australia, uh, the economy may seem that it's going reasonably well. That's what we are told by the various political leaders and by the various economists. They're trying to keep everyone happy and content and not trying to alarm the public. But I was reading an article recently on the ABC News website They shared with me that in the last 25 years, Australian debt has tripled. Australian debt has what? Tripled in the last 25 years, and everybody knows you can't just keep accumulating debt without any consequences. I find it fascinating that for the first time in history, the average house price in Sydney, the largest city here in Australia, has hit one million dollars. Isn't that incredible? A million dollars. Now, I went and did a little bit of research. I'm not an economist, okay, by any stretch. I'm just a simple Simon that's just looking at the big picture, taking a look at what the Bible says, in particular, what Jesus says, and trying to match up the facts and the figures and trying to put all the dots together. I discovered that in 1975, okay, so that's many moons ago, 1975, some of you will probably remember what life was like in 1975. The average house price in Sydney was was $30,000. The average wage in Sydney was $7,500. That was in 1975. Forty years later, in 2015, while the house price, as we've shared, has hit what? Has hit a million dollars. It's gone up more than 30 fold. The average wage in Sydney in 2015 was $75,000. It's gone up 10 times. You don't need to be a mathematician or an economist to work out something's not right. Wages have gone up by 10 times. House prices have gone up by more than 30 times. The greatest investment a person will make in their lifetime in Australia will be in a house. Isn't that right? So when we have low interest rates, as we do now, and we have huge titanic debt, it's setting us up for a huge fall. That's what the economists are sharing with me, well, we're with us, and um, I won't go into too much more, but um, you, you probably know some of this yourself. I found this graph fascinating, talking about the United States. Have a look at their, their public debt, it's up around 20 trillion dollars. That's right, not billion, but 20 trillion dollars in 1990. It was around $3 trillion. And have a look at that graph. It's just going up and up and up. And we're almost at $20 trillion. The United States is now in a position where it can, where it's almost impossible for it to pay simply the interest on its debt. Things cannot keep going as they are. They just cannot keep going. The balloon will eventually have to pop. And that's exactly what I read in this book written by economists. I don't believe they're Christian. I'm not sure, but it certainly um, didn't come across in that way. They're just simply taking a look at what's happening in the world. Now, these economists, um, David Weidmer, Robert Weidmer and Sidney Spitzer, they wrote a book entitled Aftershock, Protect Yourself and Profit in the Next Global Financial Meltdown. They wrote a previous book in 2006 entitled America's Bubble Economy. And in that book, they clearly identified where America was at with its economy, this, this bubble housing economy and where it was going and how it would collapse eventually. They basically predicted and they foretold step by step the 2008 GFC or or financial crisis, the world financial crisis in that book. Now, they have written a book, these same authors, and they are predicting phase two of the economic crash. And if you have trouble sleeping, it's not a book I'd recommend that you read just before you go to bed. I wouldn't recommend that. But what they are simply stating in this book, and they're not looking at it from a biblical perspective. They're simply stating that the next economic crash, which will come. They're not saying may come. They're saying which will come will make the Great Depression of the 1930s look like a picnic in the park. They're saying that life as we know it on planet Earth will be completely changed and transformed forever. As I think about that, I think about the only way that I can protect myself. The only way you can protect yourself is through Jesus. Isn't that right? That's the only way. Notice this front cover of Time magazine The Next Recession and Where to Hide. Here they were also pointing out that we are Jew, we are Jew for another financial crisis. The world is due. According to this magazine, every seven or eight or nine years from about the 1970s onwards, there has been a recession or a financial crisis. Since 2008, how many years have transpired? How long? Can this economic bubble keep going? Only God knows. But when I look at that front cover, the next recession and where to hide, where to hide, where do you hide? I love these words from the psalmist David. Notice what he writes. David writes in Psalm 91, verse two, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not putting my faith and trust in the government. I'm not putting my faith and trust in my bank. I'm not putting my faith and trust in my house, in my mortgage, in my job. I'm putting my faith and trust in God alone. Where is our refuge? Where do we hide? We hide in Jesus Christ. If we have Jesus Christ, we can have peace. We can have happiness. We can have joy. If everything is falling apart around us, we are not all that concerned because we are looking where? We're looking up. Jesus told us, when you see all these things come to pass, look up because your redemption is drawing near. These are all signs that Jesus is on his way. We are not to be afraid. We're not to lose sleep over these things. Whatever will be, will be. God knows when and what and how my role And your role is for us to put our faith and trust in Jesus. I love the words of Jesus. Let's go to the words of Jesus. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be what? Troubled, neither let it be afraid. In Christ we can have peace. In Christ, we do not need to be afraid. Jesus over and over again says, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Be anxious for nothing, writes the Apostle Paul. And what's nothing? Nothing is what? Nothing. nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but just trust in God. Put your faith in Him. Where ought to our priorities be in these economic Uncertain times that we live in. Notice the words of Jesus once again. Matthew 6 verses 19 to 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself. Treasure here on this earth, because we well know the stock market can swallow it all up in a day. Isn't that right? Recently, we had Brexit. And what happened to the world financial markets? They took a nosedive, a nosedive in a matter of a day or two. Three trillion dollars was wiped off the stock market. What is three trillion dollars? I've got no idea either. (laughs) Who knows what three trillion dollars looks like? I'm lucky to have three dollars in my pocket at any one time. We can only put our faith and trust in Jesus. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven, in heaven, in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, for what profit is it to a man or a woman if he or she gains the whole world and loses what? His own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What is the point to gain the whole world, to gain everything this world has to offer and to lose your salvation. What is the point, says Jesus? There is no point. There is no point. I'd rather die without a dollar in my pocket in the Lord than die with billions and trillions of dollars because where my heart is, that's where my treasure will be. And my heart is in the kingdom of God. My heart is in heaven. That's where I am looking. That's where my heart is. That's where I'm focused. So my energy is my strength, my dollars and cents. I want to place them toward the things that will last for eternity, not the things that will be for the here and now. In 2009, a great tragedy took place there in my home state of Victoria. Victoria. Australia, where 160 something individuals lost their lives in the greatest natural disaster in Australian history, in modern Australian history, that we know today as Black Saturday, February 7, 2009, after um, intense heat over a number of days, um, finally, uh, finally, bushfires um, just joined together, and sadly sadly, a lot of property was lost. But more importantly, many lives were lost. I read this news article and you can see it up there on the screen. This news article from The Australian, September 9, 2009, in the inquest that followed Black Saturday. Black Saturday, bushfire victims died defending their houses. I nearly cried. I, I nearly cried when I read that more than a hundred people lost their lives defending their homes. Yes, they had put a lot of time and effort into their homes. But sadly, they lost their lives. Tragically, they lost their lives defending their homes. What did Jesus say? What does a profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? My friends, this is not our home. This is not our home. We're just traveling through The home that Jesus has prepared for us is not on this earth. It's in the heavenly courts above. Notice what Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verses 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. This is the place that Jesus has in mind for each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. The heavenly mansion, the heavenly mansion is what Jesus is preparing for each and every one of us. Yes, we need to live in a house here, in the here and now, whether you're renting or whether you're your home, it makes no difference. You're not taking it anywhere with you, are you? We're not taking anything from this world away with us. The only thing that we are taking with us is our trust, is our faith, is our belief in Jesus Christ that will prepare us for His heavenly mansions above. In my Father's house are many mansions. Enough room for you? Absolutely. Is there enough room for me? Absolutely. Is there enough room for everybody? Yes, there is. There is enough room. Or as I love, as my, as my Papua New Guinean friends say, plenty good room, plenty good room. There is plenty of good room. Today, Jesus is inviting you and me to make a decision to be part of his everlasting kingdom of love. I want to be part of that everlasting kingdom of love. How about you? Do you want to join me in preparing for the heavenly courts above? Do you want to join me there in those heavenly mansions? I'm so looking forward to that day. And I know that God wants you and me, all of us to be part of that day. If that's your desire, why don't you just raise your hand and say, Lord, I want my mansion in heaven. I don't care about the one down here. I want my mansion in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much that in this day and age of uncertainty. Father, we can put our faith and trust in your word. Where is there to hide? The question has been asked. Oh, the only place is in the secure and the safe, nail scarred hands of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the promise that you're coming back soon. And all those that put their faith and trust in you, they will be with you forevermore. Oh, bless us, Lord. Now, I pray, keep us close to Jesus each and every day. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Malenkov, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3ABN Australia.org.au.